Now, The Common Sense Psychic with Phyllis King. Phyllis brings a unique and down-to-earth style with her common sense psychic readings and spiritual dialogue with callers and guests. Here's your host for The Common Sense Psychic, Phyllis King. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the show. I am your host, Phyllis King, and happy Friday. It is November the 18th. Today we're going to be having a very special guest here, an author, Kevin Hancock, who's a businessman, a family man, and has a compelling story um, about his uh, journey into uh, Native American history and their story, what life has been like since Columbus arrived. You know, the reason this book resonated so much with me is because I see elements of karma that plays out in American culture and even in this presidential election. Some of you who are on my new feed, you you know that I've talked about this in, in many respects in terms of when you cause injury to people, whether it's on purpose or not, that you carry that forward until you do bring it into balance. And there, uh, there, there are repercussions to our actions, uh, safe to say. And one of the great things in this particular book that really stuck out to me was this letter of apology, which I'm sure we'll talk about, and how important apology plays in, uh, in, in many aspects of our life. But it's a fascinating story. This is a businessman who, you know, his business has been voted one of the best places to work in Maine. Uh, he's taken six trips to Pine Ridge, and he had a medical condition, which he can share with you of what that prompted in him that caused him to go on this quest of sorts and really begin to take stock of life and learn how to center himself. And the book is not for sale, Finding Center in the Land of Crazy Horse. And uh, Kevin will be here with us shortly. So we'll be talking about centering. We'll be talking about history. Kevin is a history buff and has uh, done a lot of work uh, in his life uh, talking about history and its value and really is something you, you get from the book. It's one of the types of books that you want to read over and over. Uh, there's so much story in it. Uh, there's so much detail, uh, really beautifully written, and uh, something I hope you all will look forward to uh, reading after you hear more from the author. So as I'm waiting for him to get here, I'm going to take a play a quick little music for you, and then uh, we'll come back. And if you'd like to get on the line, some of you are waiting, and you know what the story is going to be today, and you could speak with him as well. Um, the number to get on the air is 917-889-2894. 917-889-2894. So I'll be back shortly. Um, you're listening to Phyllis King. Stay with me. Welcome back to the show. I am again your host, Phyllis King. Happy Friday, as I said. If we can get Pharrell to take his happiness and bring it inward. And that's what we're going to talk a lot today about. How do we find happiness? Is that something outside of us? Is it something inside of us? And many of us talk about this. That's why you call the show. How do I get there? What am I doing right? What am I doing wrong? So my guest, Kevin Hancock, the book, Not for Sale, Finding Center in the Land 
of Crazy Horse. Uh, Kevin, welcome. Thanks for being here today. I'm really happy to be on your show, Phyllis. Thank you for having me. You know, this book just uh, struck a chord with me when, it, you know, I, people send me a lot of books and, you know, I, I love books and I love people to tell their story. But I loved how you really dug in deep to um, Native American history. And I want to talk a lot about that. But it, it wasn't Native American history or was it that drew you in? What caused you to go down this path to begin with? You're a successful businessman. You've had a long-standing family business in the state of Maine, your life seems to be all set up. Why would you go looking for trouble? <laughs> right, and that's the first sentence of my of my book. I'm standing at the Wounded Knee Massacre site the day before Halloween 2012, and this uh, old lovely jewelry maker pulls up and she says, what brings you here? And that really, <laughs> that really is the, mm-hmm. was the question of the book uh, for me. So yeah. uh, in 2010, what really kicked it, kicked this off for me in 2010 at the peak of the housing and mortgage market collapse, I found myself here in Maine trying to help lead and run our family business, which is a lumber company, Hancock Lumber, through that collapse. And I uh, began to have some real significant voice issues. When I went to talk, my voice got very broken and uh, weak and hard to hear, and talking made me dizzy and sore and out of breath and not wow. wanting to say very much. And um, I ended yeah. up going, went, going to a doctor and then another doctor and was finally diagnosed with spasmodic dysphonia, which is a rare neurological voice disorder that affects only speech with no known cause or cure. And my voice is pretty normal today because I get periodic Botox injections, which serve as a muscle relaxant and kind of trick my system into functioning semi-normally for a time, but often it would be really hard to hear me. Yeah. So that voice disorder made me stop made me do something that's really rare and difficult in this day and age, as you know, Phyllis. It made me stop, sit still, Mm -hmm. listen, Mm -hmm. think, Mm -hmm. and look inward. And it changed Mm -hmm. the way I thought about leadership, but it also changed the way Mm -hmm. I thought about my entire life. And I came to came to realize I'd, I'd just been really, really caught up in that 24-7, go, 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 bigger, better, more world we live in, and that while I loved yes. my role and my job, that that wasn't who I, who I was, but I'd lost track of that. Mm-hmm. I'd really gotten caught up in my roles and responsibilities, and when the dust settled and the economy got better, I had a growing feeling I needed to serve myself a little bit more, and I happened to have read in the summer of 2012 a copy of National Geographic in which the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation was on the cover. And that article, Mm -hmm. that story just spoke to me in a really deep, soulful way. Like every character in the story came out and hugged me. And I finished the article and I said to my wife, I'm going to go there. I want to see what life is like, modern day life is like for the people that, that live there. One of the biggest, most historic, poorest, combative, disenfranchised of all the Sioux reservations on the Northern Plains. And one trip led to two, which has now been 10, and a journal I was keeping turned wow. into a, a book and a story I wanted to tell. And it all, But it all wow. came from stopping, sitting still, and listening to my own voice and wanting wow. to um, express myself more broadly than the role, just the roles I'd been assigned or taken on in my my life. That's a, that's an amazing that's an amazing story and a summary of how how that began for you. Now you don't personally have Native American ties, or do you? No, none that I know of. Uh, no, mm-hmm. I just I but I have, and I wrote about this in the book. Once I stopped listening, mm-hmm. I have had a. Once I started listening, excuse me, more more deliberately, I have had a lifetime love affair with the American West and a lifetime mm-hmm. love affair with American history during the second half of the 19th century when our 
nation's Western expansion and manifest destiny ran into the Plains Indians. And once I looked back on what had happened, I could actually trace a series of events going back to when I was a teenager, Phyllis, that in my view was whispering and calling me there to that mm-hmm. reservation. I can now connect the dots that that go back mm-hmm. almost 40 years. Wow. Now, did you have a frame of res- uh, reference or a, a, a tool, a skill set you used to make sense of life or you just aligned with bigger, better, more? Well, that's a great question, too. There, w- there was one other event that predated the, the partial loss of my voice. In 2008, as a gift, my mother had given me a evolutionary astrological reading. <laughs> I'd never mm-hmm. heard of evolutionary yeah. astrology, no more than I'd never mm-hmm. heard of Pine Ridge. But... Um, yeah, but it came on a on a CD disc from a, a clinical psychologist and an evolutionary astrologist from Palo Alto, who's now a dear friend of mine. And when I sat and listened to that yeah. reading, it it stopped me in my tracks in the deepest of ways. I was like, how how could this woman um, see? the deepest, most personal essence of my own soul, like the high end of who I was, the low end of who I was. And mm-hmm. um, that reading really opened me up. The combination of that reading and the, and the loss of my voice opened me up to a much deeper level of of self-inquiry and a much greater awareness of the the soul or the heart as the center over the the head or the brain or the external world. And um, it just, it just set me on a path of, of thinking and being that was very different than the path I'd been on before. There was nothing wrong with the path I was on before. If anybody looked at it, I they would have said, well, there's just a, a, you know, a a good traditional modern day leader, (laughs) but um, yeah, but but yeah. the combination of my voice disorder and the reading really mm-hmm. helped me move in a different direction. Well, that's that's amazing, and I know people do. They have health conditions or different life events that cause them to reevaluate, and then the combination of these with seeing this National Geographic article. So you embarked upon this journey, and your wife said. <laughs> you know have at it go for it so you you left everybody behind and you you went on your way and what did you expect uh, you were going to find or did you have an expectation yeah so so you you hit a great question so first of all i was very nervous because i was here i was a uh, a CEO in the quote-unquote prime of his career, if you will, you know, late 40s, been at it for over two decades and really embedded in in my local community here in Maine. And and then I was, during the book writing experience, found myself taking off every four months, say, for a week at a time to the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation, which had nothing to do with any of my roles. And I worried about what people would think, right? I'm like, they're going to, is he having a midlife crisis? Is he losing his commitment to what he does here? You know, you worry about those things. You really worry about what others expect of you. But the, the, the support I got, um, from my wife and my family and from the company coupled with the fact that the calling was so strong for me that I couldn't resist it or avoid it. But the combination of the two made it all, made it all work. And one of the things that I really, really learned and have come to believe and write about in the book is that um, done correctly, being selfish is selfless. Because when we put more of ourselves in our own life, when we do that which is calling to us or that which makes us light up or lose track of time or just be giddy with Mm -hmm. happiness or enthusiasm, we're invariably putting ourselves in a state where – where that's contagious or infectious and it can't help but actually rub off on others. So going to Pine Ridge, writing a book, becoming an artist – made me a better executive. It didn't make me a poorer executive. It made me better at what I 
what I did. It made me more, more valuable to the people around me, and it and I didn't have to sacrifice in the way I thought I did previously, or put all of you know my things second. Yeah. Uh, well, I certainly want to talk a lot more about that in our time together today. But there's so much in the book. I mean, this is a book that really does need to be read multiple times to really take in all that it offers. Um, you know, for me, I'm curious when you, you, uh, you know, there's so many stories and quotes and revelations about the pain and the hardship um, that disenfranchised people experience and how it formulates their, their view of themselves and what they think is possible. And it's really quite painful uh, for me. It was really difficult, many parts of it for me to read. It's so sad. Uh, because so many of us don't really have a, a sense of what that's like to have that type of loss visited upon us. So how did you, I mean, you knew what you were walking into in a sense, but what was most startling to you about the people uh, and how they've coped with their history? Right. So gr- great, great questions. First, it it really... I, I knew the re- these reservations, these Northern Plains reservations that were created in the 1870s and 80s were uh, statistically very poor, challenged communities. But it's one thing to read about that or to have an innate knowledge of it. It's another thing to actually stand there, you know, in people's homes, at the convenience store, in their car, and really see the magnitude of it. Uh, We had a national crisis in 2010, economic crisis, when unemployment hit 9%. At Pine Ridge today, it's 90%, right in the middle of of this country, in South Dakota, right in the heartland of this country. You know, um, the lowest life expectancy in the Western Hemisphere is Haiti, Second uh, is Pine Ridge, South Dakota. Men live on average to be 48-ish, women into their early 50s. The median income is less than $10,000 a year. And, you know, I guess the first thing I'd say, your question is so deep, it's got layers to it, but the first thing I'd say was to stand there and really come to terms with the fact that there are communities in this country that have not yet recovered from what I thought was ancient history, you know, the winning of the West, or what's more, Columbus's discovery, or really to even rethink Mm -hmm. that, Phyllis, right? I had to stand there. I majored in history in college and then taught history immediately after graduating, but it was not until I went to Pine Ridge multiple times, as wild as this sounds, that it dawned on me that Columbus did not actually discover a new world. People already lived yeah. here. Yeah. And and it really made me rethink yeah. how we could take a truth that obvious, that irrefutably yeah. obvious and put it on the shelf. So so there was a lot yeah. of just coming processing the reality of of what modern day life was like for these people that have been um marginalized, which was the other irony of my story. I was searching for my voice in a community that right. felt like it no longer had a voice. And the irony of that really right. was was powerful for me, too. So how did you, in your quest, you were answering your call to go and be at Pine Ridge and really rediscover uh, the, these people and this history at what point and how was your pro- how did it evolve that you became more centered that you understood about self or selfish versus and how that's a positive in life and in business how did how did it all come together how did it grow into where you are now right so it started by accident so when i when i had my voice issues i had no choice but to lead differently because i often couldn't say more than just a couple of sentences. So I had to share leadership much more deeply and broadly. Someone would come to me, simple example, with a with a problem or a question, and I knew I wasn't going to be able to give a long answer. So I started saying to protect myself only, I started saying something like, that's a great question. What do you think we should do? 
Oh. <laughs> and guess what I found out, Phyllis? People knew they had great ideas already. They already knew what to do, and they either just felt that it was the protocol to bring it up the ladder to a boss, if you will, or they just wanted some basic inform- uh, affirmation. But, but um, you know, what I discovered by accident changed the way I thought about leadership and, and changed my role, and I've since come to be a champion of of um, what if we could create an organization where every voice was a leading voice, where every person led, wouldn't that be more powerful and dynamic and um, healthy than an organization where just a few people held all the cards? So, so that's a roundabout way to answering part of your question in that um, I suddenly had a lot more time. You know, I was able to, to be more effective by doing less which is a really yes. counterintuitive concept for yes. leaders to get their head around. Um, yes. but, but I freed up time, and then I was able to reinvest some of that time in, in my own well-being. And just over time, spending time just on me, like, like I would go to Pine Ridge for five or six days at a time by myself. And while I was engaging with them and learning about them, uh, and growing fond of them and thinking about their world, I was really also just there clearing my own head and serving my own soul. And the, the mere act of making time to do that was extremely powerful. And over time, things just started to kind of naturally balance themselves back out. Uh, and I just feel it's hard to explain, but I know you know what I mean. I just feel like the center of whom I, who I am literally mm-hmm. dropped from my head to my chest. <laughs> and I wow. just feel yeah. so much more um, balanced and whole. And it's put me in a position mm-hmm. to, to, to be more valuable for others. Because when we're off balance, which is so easy to be, when we're off balance mm-hmm. – on an individual level, it, it, it doesn't make it easier to help others achieve balance. And I right. found when I calmed down and when I uh, became more centered, everybody around me did too. It was kind of a weird experience, mm-hmm. but that's how I, yeah, how I experienced that's fascinating. Um, by the way, if you've just joined the program, my guest this hour is Kevin Hancock, and he's the author of Not for Sale, Finding Center in the Land of Crazy Horse, and he is uh, the CEO of a family-owned business, a lumber company in the state of Maine, and we're talking about his experience uh, uh, giving to himself and learning how to recenter himself, and we're talking about his exploration into Pine Ridge and the Native American history that is so rich there. Uh, I'm going to take a really quick break. When we come back, I want to talk some more about how they received you, how you were received, what they thought of you when you showed up here, and how that uh, transformed itself over time, and what your goals are with Pine Ridge now, and then also with your company. Um, So I'm going to take a quick break. When I come back, we will talk more about this. You're listening to Phyllis King. Uh, Stay with me.
and welcome back to the show. I am your host, Phyllis King, and my guest this hour is Kevin Hancock, and he is the president of Hancock Lumber in the state of Maine, and his book, Not for Sale, Finding Center in the Land of Crazy Horses, an amazing read. Uh, please visit the website, Kevin D. in David, Hancock.com. Um, that's one of the places you can find the book. You can learn more about Kevin and appearances and uh, different things of this nature. There are several videos and such out on the internet that you'll really enjoy and speaking on topics related to what we're speaking about today. Um, let me find you again. Um, welcome back again, Kevin. It, it's just amazing to me. And someone like you has such the ability to make an impact in this way because you have it all. You, you're living the life that people dream of. And you, I'm not saying you gave it up, but you moved in a different direction to look for something deeper, and then you brought it back to your, to your organization, or now you have a different approach on leadership, and people look to you for your progressive views. Um, how has this uh, view of power and what power really looks like and what really is powerful, how has that now shaped your life? And then I want to go back to Pine Ridge after that. <laughs> yeah, perf- perfect. So, right, the voice disorder and the self-inquiry led me to think completely differently about about leadership and the and to have the goal be the creation of a organizational culture where everybody leads, where every voice feels respected, powerful trusted, heard, and responsible. So we've been working now for about a half a decade on organizational systems designed to push power out from the center rather than collect it in and to make the voice of the employee or the team member stronger through uh, surveys, focus groups, huddles, feedback systems, and, and more. And it, our company really took off uh, after several years of kind of embracing and working at that path or direction. And and then when I look more broadly at uh, leadership around the world, Phyllis, whether it's private sector or public sector, I, I really think we're on the cusp of a leadership revolution from the Piscean Age to the Aquarian Age. If you think about it, the Piscean Age that that is just ending – was really about that savior single leader, uh, whether it was in the family, the one person who spoke for the home or the church, the one yeah. person who spoke for the congregation or the government right. nation state or the company. Uh, there was one leader who spoke the tribal truth. But I think in the Aquarian age, part of the distress you're seeing right now around the globe is that increasingly – people aren't good with that anymore. <laughs> Increasingly, right. yeah. which is overall quite yeah. exciting, everybody wants to have their own voice, to have right. their own opinion, to say what they mm-hmm. see or feel or believe. And I think that organizations mm-hmm. that embrace the power of everyone, the power of every voice, are going mm-hmm. to outperform and out-recruit or attract um, talent versus those that try to cling to the old model of leadership. Yes. Well, um, I want to circle back around to that again on our time together, but I do want to go move on to back to Pine Ridge (laughs) and how you were received when you descended and how you made inroads or how that worked. Yeah, it it's uh, <laughs> it was tricky and it all just um flowed because yeah, you have to keep in mind the first time I went, I had no idea what would come next. I wasn't planning on writing a book. I wasn't planning on building it into a centerpiece of my life. It was like one trip led to two and and it just kept it kept building. But um generally speaking, it's a it's a bit of a tough community to to integrate into because of the the long standing painful trauma that they've experienced you yeah. know there's a long history yeah. there of people coming from away to uh remake them 
originally, yeah. you know, for okay. decades to remake them as white people, to take the Indian out of them, and then now more in the modern, right. modern age, maybe a stereotype of people coming there to fix them or save them or do their civic duty. So I think there is skepticism right. at first, but, but the advantage I had, as it turned out, um, was I was there in no formal capacity, and that's what really made me going there rare. You know, most people go there... <laughs> Uh, with a nonprofit or with a government agency to perform a task and then leave. But I didn't have any yeah. of that. I was just going there because uh, I loved it there. I loved the, the story, the scene, the landscape, the people. I just loved it there. And I didn't have anything that I had to do. People ask me what I do when I go there. And I say, well, I don't do very much. <laughs> I just kind of yeah. go, I just hang out. I just hang out with people there. But um but that in and of itself turned out to be really powerful, and I've since thought a lot about it and wrote about it, that, that um, I think connectivity and engagement in and of itself, just because we're humans, is a powerful, yeah. valuable act. And in a world where everything's yeah. about tasks and performing roles, as funny as it sounds, the sheer act of crossing boundaries, changing tribes, if you will, and hanging out with a group that you have no requirement to hang out with is in and of itself powerful, really, really powerful. And so over time I broke through and just to finalize that, one thing I love about Pine Ridge is generally speaking, the community does not really care as much about your head or what you know, or what your title is, Mm -hmm. or how much money you make. They're more into your heart, the kind of person you are. And so a very common uh, statement that someone would make once they got to know me over time and kind of pull me into their family or their circle would be, "I, um, I can see you have a good heart. And I just love Mm. that, um, that that's how that community is wired and that it looks first at the heart yeah. and second at the head. And I, I just found that refreshing. Yes, indeed. And how do they, I mean, they're so acclimated to poverty and to being dependent upon governmental systems. What does that do to a psyche? And I mean, you're not a psychologist, I mean, but as an observer, I mean, what does that do to a people and how did they maintain their heart-driven focus for life? Under those conditions. Yeah, that's such a that's such a great question too. You know, on the one hand, the 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 the, um, the heart driven focus for life. So so what I do see there, which is really warm and admirable, is that these people, their community that's been through through so much, they they still live. You know, you they don't they don't mope around. I mean, everybody, I you know, people, they're smiling all over the place. There's laughing. There's joking. There's family, there's gatherings, mm-hmm. you know, and that was really inspiring to to see that despite the hardship, there's still joy and um, a real commitment to to living, you, you, you know, and all of the, the ways that humans do. But the other side of that yeah. question is is really important, too. So this is a, right, this is a community that was... Um, intentionally stripped of all of its power. You know, back originally in the 1870s, 1870s, 80s, 90s, turn of the century, they were sequestered on these reservations, told they had to stay there, and that that was all they had to do, that the government would bring them everything they needed. You know, we'll bring you your rations, we'll bring you your clothing, we'll build you your houses, we'll make you Christians, and you just stay here. And I knew that's yeah. how the reservations were set up. What blew me away is that that's still how they function in the year 2016. <laughs> and you're now, yeah. you know, five generations into that's the way it it um, it works. That that pretty if you need something, you apply to. You largely often apply to or go to your government to try to get it and you usually end up not getting it and waiting and that that's the way the system works. And, um, and the power, this was also where I felt 
there was a calling here for net, for connectivity the 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 power that they carry within themselves that that innately human power your own resourcefulness your own ingenuity your own ability to to be independent and to tip things in a positive direction that um that power lives within everybody there but but as a general statement across the entire community that that flame has not really been um reignited and and i wanted if if i could just yeah. tell a kind of a quick story there not to go too long on one sure, question please. but but when That's uh, okay when i looked at the history of their community before the coming of the the wasichu the lakota term for white people and before the discovery of the gold which the lakota called you'll love this the yellow metal that makes the white people crazy yeah <laughs> and before the <laughs> exactly. making and breaking of treaties and the creation yeah. of the reservation when these tribes were free and strong and totally self-sufficient tra- following the buffalo on the northern plains if you look at how their or their community was structured virtually all the power in their society went to the individual and Mm -hmm. the corporate governing center of the tribe was really, really small. It was hard even to find like the president in Washington would send negotiators out onto the plains and they'd show up and say, take me to your leader. And nobody really knew what that meant because nobody thought about (laughs) leadership that way, which is so interesting and refreshing to think about. But yes. but after yes. the colonization, the conquest, the genocide, the remaking, you know, when they'd been kind of systematically hammered down on these reservations, that that yeah. spirit of the individual um, being independent and in control had really been pounded out of that community in large and and economically they've not been able to get that back now i will you know i think a local person living at the reservation might see this differently and talk about it differently um but spiritually you can which i which is really encouraging you can see that power coming back there's a lot of momentum towards lakota tradition language ceremony today that was not allowed a generation ago and that's really really great Uh, but i'm hoping Mm -hmm. that that will build into uh the economic independence at some point because the economic model they're in is a is a in my view a no-win game for them yes yes wow and so now um as you move forward with your book and you're out speaking and you've changed the model of your own company, I mean, did your employees think you were nuts? I mean, did they trust you? I mean, what did they think was going on here? Yeah, I think initially there was there was curiosity, to say the least, what's going on with Kevin. <laughs> but I think once... You know, once they saw that this was sticking, that I was going to Pine Ridge and coming back, you know, not going and dropping Mm -hmm. out, but going and coming back, and that it was invigorating me, and I was sharing stories about them and learnings that that we could incorporate. Um, And then when people read my book, I think the end of the story is it came to be a great blessing for – for our company. I mean, you've, you've read the book and been really, really gracious already on this show about talking Mm -hmm. about how meaningful it was to you. So imagine for me Mm -hmm. having the opportunity to share that level of intimacy with everybody in our company, 450 people, you know, it gave them a, um, a much different view of me than they might have had otherwise. And it's all been really, really beneficial um, yeah. for the company and, and my work back home here. And do you feel, do you find that not just your employees, but people in general are, have been asleep in terms of this subject that they, like you described earlier, that didn't really even recognize even as a history teacher that, you know, that there were people who lived here before Columbus arrived. I mean, do you find that that's prevalent still? 
I do, and I think so. I think people that that, for example, people reading uh, my book, it's been a really big wake up call on that that topic. And I often hear essentially someone saying, "Oh my goodness, I had no idea," you know, yeah. that that was the real story yeah. of how they got there and what the making of America, what the consequences were <laughs> for them. Yes. In 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 what otherwise people might think of as a grand story, yeah. and and I yeah. think that um, the awareness, I think the awareness of what really happened, the acknowledgement you referenced earlier at the beginning of the show, the apology, that I think the awareness yeah. of what really happened is an important step in helping to support the entire country, people from those reservations and people who are not, coming to terms with what happened, reconciling, forgiving, not forgetting, but forgiving, and taking a deep breath and moving forward. I think it's an important step in the process of healing. Right. And do you, you sounded uh, in one of your statements earlier that you're, you're optimistic and you've seen signs that, you know, I'm, I'm calling it entrepreneurship, but you're calling it sort of um, that spirit of independence. Uh, there's a, a, a power returning. Um, do, do you? I mean, do you really see these populations regenerating? I mean, it's hard to imagine that if there's 90% unemployment, but right. you're seeing signs on some level that these populations are regenerating. I guess that's the best word I'm coming up with. Yeah. Yeah, I've had to think about that a lot, and there are moments when I'm there where I'm really, I don't want to say without hope, but really feeling lost about how things ever get better. But but the yeah. more I think about it, I think it, it might feel um, a bit, a bit uh, I don't want to say crude, but a bit like un cumbersome journey or a bit of a messy yeah. journey. But I think, you know, you are seeing a big revival in – in being proud to be Indian, you know, I yeah. saying I am an Indian is a source of pride, celebrating your own language, yeah. celebrating your own yeah. traditions, speaking out, you yeah. know, even I, I don't agree with everything that's ha- happening up at uh, Standing Rock with the pipeline protest, but there are big right. parts of it I love to see. I love to see the the tribes of the Northern Plains coming together. I love to see them celebrating yes. who they are publicly, and I love to see them having a voice and being willing to kind mm-hmm. of shout it from the rooftop. And I think that those are steps that that 50 years ago you might not, you wouldn't have seen, and that in time I think those steps can morph into economic independence. There's a lot of talk mm-hmm. uh, uh, in the reservation uh, communities about sovereignty, you know, their tribal yeah. territorial status with the federal government. And I've really encouraged my friends at Pine Ridge to 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 rethink the definition of the sovereignty a little bit, uh, and not so much just about territorial treaty integrity, but economic sovereignty, you know, returning right. to a time when the community um, creates the core of its own economic value, <laughs> because mm-hmm. I think that's where um, the self-worth and the true independence yeah. is going to going to come from. So I, I think there are seeds right. of that that I see, but mm-hmm. um, but I also mm-hmm. think from the time I've spent there that that is not going to be a quick or simple right. journey. It's going to take a long time because the wounds are so deep and the old patterns exactly. are so ingrained. Well, and I think so many of us, we think, well, that happened so long ago. Why doesn't that, you know, we, we should be over that, <laughs> right? And all a person has to do is really look at, this is personal opinion here, editorializing, but you have to just look at your own life and how your own wounding from your own situation, how long it takes to resolve hurts and, and things that happened to you over the course of just your own lifetime. Yeah. and. You know, but what I'm—I've always been struck with with Native American uh, culture. What I'm familiar with is the wisdom and the sharing that seems to be inherent in the philosophy, and a caring for the earth and 
that we're all together, the animals. And, you know, all of it has just always felt so rich and integrated as opposed to the uh, other and that everything is separate. And I loved at the very beginning of the book you shared these Indian prayers, which I won't go into right now, but they're just also delightful and really just realness of a a relationship to life that has uh, meaning that is internal. Um, that's just my own opinion, which I'm never short on giving. <laughs> meanwhile, um, if you've been just listening to the program, my guest is Kevin Hancock. The book is Not for Sale, Finding Center in the Land of Crazy Horse. Kevin D., as in David, I don't know if that's your middle name, but KevinDHancock.com is the website. Uh, please visit the website. You can learn more about Kevin and the book, and you can get the book there, and it's certainly one that you will read more than once. It's very rich in storytelling and history, and you, you took a lot of photos yourself in that book, it looks like. I did. So the book is uh, unique in quite a few, in quite a few ways, uh, possibly, but one is it contains two uh, – there are 200 color – Photos. So the book chronicles six trips I took back and forth, the first six from Maine to Pine Ridge. And in addition to the written story, I felt the pictures were really powerful too. And so I ended up putting the pictures in, in color, uh, where they go with the story, mm-hmm. which you don't often see in a, in a, in a book like this. So it's, it's well, there are multiple no, ways I, to kind I, of engage it. Yes. And the first thing usually a publisher will ask you is how many pictures are there going to be? Right. So it is a treat to be able to have a book with so many pictures in it because in this day and age of publishing, that doesn't happen very often. <laughs> but they are, they are beautiful. And, um, yeah, but it's a, a great, great book. Now, of course, this was your personal journey, your own evolution into yourself, and as it continues. But is there a message you were trying to share or that emerged for you that, something you really wanted to say to people or was it just an expression of your own experience? It was, um, it was both. It was first and foremost, um, a book I needed to write for me and I was the biggest beneficiary of it. I felt cause I grew yeah. while I was writing, writing's extremely therapeutic. And, and then when yes. I finished, I felt there were lessons that, that, um, might, be of benefit or interest to others, and so it wasn't a big leap to decide to to share it. So it it served both functions. Yes. The, in, it, yeah. And uh, were you asking me too, in part, what those messages might be? Or well, yeah. I mean, there, there's so much in the book. There's, there, I mean, if, but if there's something in particular you want to draw readers' attention yeah. to, um, just two quick things, and they they're, they're both things you mentioned a, mi- a few minutes ago when you were. Uh, sharing your own feelings, which I which I love. The the yeah, the book I think to me first is about healing. Uh, someone the the trick the toughest question I sometimes get asked, and you can appreciate this because you've read it, is what's your book about? Because <laughs> it's got so many yeah. layers to it. But I was at a talk yeah. uh, I gave recently, and a woman in the front row said, "Kevin, I know what your book's about. Your book's about healing." And it stopped me in my tracks when she said that because yeah. I was like, my goodness, that's right. The the book, um, I was trying to to heal, to find my voice on a on a literal, but more importantly, a soul's level in a community yeah. that was trying to heal and find its own yeah. voice. And so the book is really about uh, the universal subject of healing because everyone that lives a life is going to have wounds and going to require healing. And the real message of the book was that healing can ultimately only come by looking inward, that despite all the distractions and the noise and the external and the injustice and the past hurts, that um, the healing comes from within. (laughs) And that finding the time and daring to sit still and look at yourself versus focus on others are the prerequisites for individual healing, which leads Mm -hmm. to tribal and global healing. Yes. So what did you heal in you? Well, that's a wonderful question that I think I'm still learning about every day and every year. But I would say overall it it, it, it was um, 
finding my own voice. You know, I grew up in a really kind of um, kind of well-known in our own little part of Maine here tradition, a sixth-generation family company uh, with with mm-hmm. some kind of built-in expectations of how you were going to act and what you were going to do and how you were going to do it. And I think that while a lot of that was really wonderful and has been great for me, there was a part of that, that part of um, my own voice that hadn't found itself and finding my identity outside of my public roles uh, and daring to, um, to make that leap to just, to just be, who I want to be and and do what I want to do and think what I want to think was just such a it sounds so simple that it's not a big deal but it just it just like I felt so much lighter like I usually mm-hmm. feel like I float mm-hmm. around now compared to mm-hmm. what it mm-hmm. felt like before well and you have a company to run and employees you're accountable to but um is you have another life now in terms of, a, you know, I've watched some of your videos on the Internet and you're out speaking and, and you're, you're looked up to or as a progressive in leadership now. Um, do you take that on or is that just something that you're kind of doing on the side or how does that fit into your life at this point? Yeah, I do. I do take it on in a um, in a in just like a, a humanity sharing way, I feel like I I feel like I had a series of events happen to me that that I, for which I stumbled on at first some learning and awakening and mm-hmm. have mm-hmm. integrated it. You know, that's the other thing is is it's um, I haven't seen a lot of people kind of walking between the two worlds where you're you're really going deeply into the spiritual world, if you will, or the mm-hmm. um, the planet mm-hmm. as one tribe, that kind of world, and then coming back into mm-hmm. a, a corporate business climate, uh, like, the, like a lumber yes. company in Maine, for goodness sake, and integrating <laughs> it there. And I think that um, yes. the two worlds need to be integrated. You know, you've got that yes. bigger, better, more, go, go, go side of the planet, and then you've got that Um, healing, connectivity, one tribe, spirituality, looking inward um, side of the planet. And and it's it's like the yin and the yang or the male and the female to me that the planet won't be, doesn't get whole without the the two sides of who it is coming into balance. And it's not about one side winning over the other or one side rejecting the other which is the way it can yeah. often feel in politics or on TV. It's about yeah. bringing it into balance. And I felt, and I've yeah. just come to feel like I ended up in a position where I'm someone who has a chance um, to, mm-hmm. to, bring, to integrate the two worlds. Oh, that's beautifully said. I, I love the way every word tasted that you just, <laughs> so let's sort of bring it back full circle. I mean, there's so we could talk for probably three hours because there's so much content here. But you know, your message it seems to be well, like your your reader said, it's one of healing. But how one really integrates their own life together. You talk about the book itself and the subtitle, um, finding center in the land of crazy horse. And it's really an inside job. It's nothing you do outside of yourself, but we do have to find the balance. But what do you tell friends, family? What do you remind yourself? What is the practice we need to do uh, to achieve just what you described? So I think, I I think about that on two levels. Now Uh, leaders, the, the leaders official or unofficial of the home, the church, the government, the family, the organization, I think leaders need to calm down and quiet down and say less and do less and create yeah. more space for everyone else in a safe way. Because yeah. I do think, you know, leaders are, it's a real thing. They have, are either given or earned or both influence over others. And I think leaders have to lead differently in a way that helps everyone else mm-hmm. um, grow and explore. And then on an individual level, to me, it's, um, it's encouraging everyone to stop and sit still 
and listen mm-hmm. to the whispers of their own soul because they're there mm-hmm. and to mm-hmm. uh and if you do that consistently you'll hear some patterns or some some themes mm-hmm. that are speaking to you and to face that path and just take a deep breath and start walking that way and i think that the being human is is a soul's experience and we've each got mm-hmm. a unique soul that is here to find its own voice and the planet reaches peak performance or harmony when everyone mm. searches for their own voice and is willing to live it mm, wow but that's way easier said than done and it can be really scary well, Yes, indeed. I mean, courage is a necessary ingredient of something you apparently have uh, an abundance of. Well, um, the book is not for sale, Finding Center in the Land of Crazy Horse. The author is Kevin Hancock. The website website is kevindhancock.com. What did we miss? Is there anything that needs to be said in our remaining moments here that we missed? I uh, <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, there's we could I could talk to you for another hour because I love your show and what you do. But I think we've you know we've really laid out the essence of the of the book. And I would just love to I love to share the book to share the ideas. It's not it's not a money making thing for me. It's an idea sharing thing. And I would love people to go to the website check out the book, order the book. I sign all the orders placed on the website. You can get the book on Amazon oh, too, lovely. but I but I love to um I love to share. I I love it when people experience the book like like you have and I really appreciate you giving yes. me a voice today on your show. Oh, of course. I'm just so glad that this was written and I thought it couldn't be more timely given uh, a whole set of circumstances on the planet, but I guess one final question, what's next? What are you up to next? Where are you? What are you doing? Are you writing more? Are you continuing to make your your journeys back to Pine Ridge? What's going on for you now? I do. Yeah, I do keep uh, I keep going back to Pine Ridge. I was just there for the 10th time a couple of weeks ago. I am uh I continue to to write and and see if that's going to morph into another book to share or not time will tell and then i continue to work on integrating what i'm doing here but but overall i'm just i've really flipped my life around and then i'm trying people ask me how i market the book and i'm like well i don't i just try to follow it i just try i've just tried to make time in my life for um the people and the and the places that that the book or the story speaks to and to be available for those people and it's brought me to just you know, really fun, amazing, continued growth and learning. So the the cool thing mm-hmm. is, I don't know where that's gonna gonna go, and I've learned <laughs> to become <laughs> mostly comfortable with that following rather than trying to chart it all out. Well, I certainly think there's more books to come from you, and it's amazing. Uh, I don't know if transformation is the right word, but boy, to me, you're right on target. Love the book, love the work, and uh, I think you have more. I think there's a a book on courage. I think you should be partnering with uh, LinkedIn and Google and all those folks to give them a heads up on what really works. <laughs> Kevin, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you here. Thanks for taking the time to be here and continued uh, success with all of your endeavors. Thanks so much, Phyllis. I'm really glad you found me. It's a pleasure. Thank you. You take care. So, my friends, the book is Not For Sale, Finding Center in the Land of Crazy Horse. Visit the website, Kevin D, Hancock, Kevin D like in davidhancock.com, or the book is on amazon.com. And as you can tell, there's just so many layers and depth to it. Such an important topic. I mean, we talk about spirituality a lot, you know, every week, but we don't talk about it in the specifics of uh, certain cultures, um, especially Native American culture and what has been perpetrated on those people. So, And when you talk about karma, which is much of my business, it plays a role in how life creates itself. And uh, just wonderful to have a point of view like this and how you can turn it into a positive and really dissipate that karma, bring it into balance. 
All righty. So please visit that website, kevindhancock.com, or go to Amazon. You'll love the book, Not for Sale. And thank you for being here. Again, whether it's live or to the download, I do appreciate it. You've been listening to Phyllis King, and I am your Common Sense Psychic. Have a great day and a great weekend. Mm.